You're listening to Life Solved from the University of Portsmouth. In this series, we hear about world-changing research from the brilliant minds at work here in Portsmouth. And behind the scenes of some of our biggest sectors, Portsmouth researchers are challenging the way we do things. And given that food manufacturing is usually the biggest manufacturing sector in any country, mm. and it certainly is in the UK, it's the biggest manufacturing sector, yeah. because as you say, every week people are buying a lot of yeah. food. Today, we're talking about innovation and development in the food industry with Paul Trott. The evidence is yeah. pretty dramatic and it's pretty pretty convincing that um, packaging is a powerful reducer of food waste. Yeah. So people need to be a bit careful when they're always arguing for less packaging. Yeah. Many of us are keenly aware how much waste a household can generate in a week, whether it's in uneaten food, packaging or unwanted items. Recent years have seen a change in the way we think and the options we have available to reuse and recycle. But John Worsey found out how smarter packaging could actually be one key to reducing food waste. Paul Trott is Professor of Innovation Management and Head of Strategy, Enterprise and Innovation. That means he's looking for new ways of changing the bigger picture and his team works directly with businesses to change the way they do things for the better of our world. Today, he tells us about how they're working to transform the food industry. There are many projects. This is only one of them, just yeah. put it in context. So that is looking at the extent to which firms can reduce their food waste by increasing the use of packaging. Yes, you heard that right. It might seem counterintuitive to our general understanding, but the evidence shows that smarter packaging can actually help reduce other issues of waste. Really, it, it, it's trying to put forward the evidence because um, mm. it's not new. Pe people have known this trade-off for, for, for many years. But I think it's trying to show interesting stories yeah. of, of genuine examples of hopefully interesting and fascinating cases of where a company has been able to reduce their food waste by uh, you know, developing new packaging. Yeah. One of the projects, for example, we've been involved was with soft fruits, so strawberries, raspberries, things like that. Yeah. And they have a very, very short shelf mm -hmm. life. But with using essentially a um, sort of plastic film that has a certain number and certain size holes mm -hmm. in it, depending on the soft fruit, that can release or because there's a, the fruit often produces a lot of um, gases, for example, mm -hmm. as, it, as it matures. So you, all these issues. And so... Um, what this uh, soft fruit company has done in association with Marks and Spencer was to develop a, uh, a technique for having the correct number of holes, let's right. say, in the film, depending on the fruit, whether it's raspberries, yeah. strawberries, blueberries, whatever. Okay. And that can double the shelf life for, for raspberries or blueberries. Yeah. Because they work closely with real businesses, the team's work is highly practical, and that means they have to be great problem solvers. We try to help firms develop new products and services. I would say we look at problems that firms face because a lot of our PhD students are gathering data from, in, at the moment, a lot of them are with food retailers or, or the food industry. And so we, we pick up early on what some of the problems are and then yeah. we to try to develop uh, potential projects that they, we think they'd be interested in. 
what we're trying to do is to increase the amount of opportunities that a company has to develop new mm. products and new services. Now, whether they take them or not is up to them. Yeah. But we're, if we can convince them, say, look, if you to in, increase the amount of expenditure on your packaging, you can create new products. We've got a lot of projects in the food industry. Yes. But as you say, 10 years ago, that wasn't the case. In 10 years' time, it probably yeah. won't be the case. So, so if you were to sort of try to describe my research, it is it's looking at how, um, how different industries mm. um, manage the innovation process. Mm -hmm. We think there are lots and lots of opportunities for companies to, to improve. And one of the ways is to increase the amount of money they spend on R&D. By R&D, Paul means research and development. But in order to get the investment from companies, he has to convince them projects aren't only a good idea for a world, but also for their customers and profits. This is especially the case in food manufacture, as Paul discovered. Because it's so process-orientated, in yeah. other words, they're making thousands and thousands of tins of tomato or, or packets of curry or whatever mm. it is, they usually just play around recipes or the packaging equipment or mm. whatever it might be. So, I mean, that's not all, but that's... Uh, We've noticed that innovation is dominated by the manufacturer, whereas in other industries it isn't so. So that, that's just a right. unique characteristic. And there's so much em emphasis on cost. Mm. And I mean, you'd be surprised, a penny increase. Well, what's, what's a penny? But the supermarkets believe they have evidence to show that they'll put products on the shelves. And they can do this. Mm. They can automatically just increase the price by a penny or two pennies or reduce it by and they will sh and they will say we've got evidence that if we increase or decrease the price by a penny it will influence sales right. quite dramatically back to the food waste example paul explained how improved packaging could really make a difference the evidence is yeah. pretty dramatic and it's pretty convincing that um, packaging is a powerful reducer of food waste yeah. So pe people need to be a bit careful when they're always arguing for less packaging. And I think I mean, if people were to do more research, they would uncover there are certain food categories mm. where more packaging can be justified. Yeah. And I guess there are other area food categories where less packaging can, can be justified. Yeah. You know, where you buy chicken now all and you cook it in the bag. Yeah. I mean, that was largely introduced to reduce the the problem that the chicken producers had of, of reducing the bacteria on harmful bacteria on, 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 the, on the chicken. Sometimes the illustration can be a dramatic cut in, yeah. in food waste, or in that case, a, uh, an example of a, an improvement in the health and hygiene. Health and hygiene, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so we recognise that some products are far more dependent on their packaging than others. Rice, microwavable rice is a good one. But when it comes to food, the packaging does perform quite a number of functions. So for a water bottle, not only does it contain it, but it helps with dispensing and things like that. Mm. With the microwavable rice, you're starting to build in more and more functions. And then it then becomes to help with the cooking of it. Yeah. So it can enhance the cooking. And if you start to look at some food products, you can see how some products are, are very dependent and there are categories that are, are dependent, so fresh fresh products, you don't need any packaging for fresh mm. products unless you want to increase the shelf life. So there are some products that you could go to a store and just help yourself. Yes, to, yes, know, scoop it in, out. Yeah, yeah. And, but there are categories where there are, there's scope and what we're saying to companies is look carefully at some of the products 
because there are opportunities to build in functions and mm. activities which, in other words, you can charge more for. But it's not just about packaging. The team works with research and development teams to solve all sorts of problems. Have you ever tried those little protein energy balls by Bounce? Paul explained how one of the team worked with them on their snack range. We worked with Bounce for, oh gosh, three years. So yeah. that was uh, one of these knowledge transfer partnerships. So we had a, a research student who was there for two mm -hmm. years. He was involved in developing new products, these. Uh, in terms of the... Uh, the recipe or in terms of the packaging? The or? recipe and the packaging, yes. Right, OK. Um, I mean, he was trained as a food scientist. But yeah. it, I mean, the actual, again, food science, the, the, the details of all the ingredients was, was by the manufacturer, which they right. outsourced. So he would come up with kitchen trials. Yeah. And again, the, they would iron it out. They would yeah. say, OK, this is what you want to produce. And they would go to the shop floor in, and, and play around with yeah. their machinery. I think our reputation is, uh, in, in our little group, is about helping industry, working on industry problems around the areas of innovation and new product development. Yeah. We're just coming to the end of a piece of research on packaging dependent products mm. and the role of packaging in enhancing such products. That includes the microwavable rice example Paul mentioned earlier. There's also a good incentive for companies to get behind this sort of helpful packaging, as consumers will happily pay a little more for the convenience. The profit is marvellous, mm, they love it. Mm. And we're saying you should look carefully at all the different categories, because there are opportunities for you to build in these extra functions if, yeah. if you're prepared to invest in R&D and innovation. Yeah. Are they prepared to invest in R&D and innovation? Probably not. And there are all sorts of examples. I mean, the single wine glass oh, yes. product. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 I think Marks and Spencer's used it for picnics or something. There's um, fish, which a lot of people don't like holding, um, touching fish. So mm. you can buy fish ready filleted in a, in some sort of bag and you just yeah. put it in the microwave. You don't have to touch it, which is great for some people. All sorts of products, which, uh, and Marks and Spencer are very good at it because you, you often pay a premium in for, for some of their products yeah. and partly because of the, you know, the packaging and such. But the question of what the person in the supermarket aisle is prepared to pay raises some big questions around the balance of power in the food industry too. As one of the biggest sectors in the UK, it also holds huge responsibility for decisions that affect society. We may have touched on examples from manufacturers and suppliers but where do the retailers come into this and who's holding them to account? A very recent piece of research is looking at um, whether retailers uh, play a positive role in the development of new products mm. in the food industry or whether they play a harmful role. Right. Okay. So are retailers a positive influence on the development of new products or negative? And again, we show through our research examples where retailers are very negative. Mm because they're always wanting price reductions. They always, and so suppliers will say, we've got lots of new products, we can do this, we can do that. And the retailers will often say, no thanks, because it'll increase the price. Or they'll say, yeah, fine, but we don't want an increase in the price. Right. So for example, easy open cans for older people. There's lots of technologies where there's lots of new opportunities to introduce uh, easy open jam jars and things mm. like that but the the retailers often say no 
They say, with a lot of evidence, if we put that product on the shelf with a one penny increase in price or two pennies, mm. the consumer won't buy it. But it shows the power of the retailers because yeah. they ultimately decide and producers are very concerned about upsetting retailers yeah. because they have such a dominant position. Yeah. So we look at the power relationship um, and all we're doing is raising issues for, for the industry about yeah. you know, should you take action, uh, are the retailers too powerful? When looking at the big picture of food supply from production to our kitchen table, Paul needs data from every part of the process. But that power dynamic has meant it's been tough to get all the information they need from suppliers at some points. Gathering such information is tricky because they're very wary about it. upsetting their big customer. So there's the supermarket grocery adjudicator, a relatively new role, right. and she's trying to, with some success, tackling issues like this. And it's very much looking at the power of supermarkets. And she has had some success um, in improving the behaviour of the supermarkets. Right. But they are, I would say, the sector's improving and, yeah. the, and the supermarkets are improving the way they behave and the way they treat their suppliers. In this way, Paul's team is not only helping to find and tackle problems on the technical side, but in a social context too. Paul explained where he thought the biggest difference could be made to benefit the most in our food industry. So what our research has done is looked at, well, how does innovation occur in the food industry? Mm. How does it compare to, say, uh, the pharmaceutical industry or the automotive industry? Yeah. And what our research reveals is a very different model of innovation. Whereas in the automotive industry and the pharmaceutical industry, they have large amounts of scientists and engineers and they employ lots of people to work in laboratories and, to, and, and design factories to design new cars or whatever it might be. Mm. The food industry is all around food processing and manufacturing. So a lot of their design and innovation occurs on the shop floor. So you've got the big food processing plants which mm. are up and running and are very often the innovation occurs on the factory floor. So they'll just play around right. with the machinery and, the, and they'll introduce new um, pieces of equipment. Unlike other industries, they use what we call a, a trial and error. Mm. Whereas other industries, it's much more driven by research and development. Right. Mm. And given that food manufacturing is usually the biggest manufacturing sector in any country, mm. and it certainly is in the UK, it's the biggest manufacturing sector yeah. because, as you say, every week people are buying a lot of yeah. food. You wouldn't have to increase the amount of spending on R&D very much to have a dramatic yeah. impact. The, the overwhelming evidence is that firms that invest in research and development and innovation tend yeah. to, to outperform. The food industry may be one of our largest, but it's just one of the sectors where this team is working to find and solve problems that ultimately affect the choices we have as consumers. From manufacturing technology to design, supply and economics, it's a tangled web to work within. Whether it's in software, shoes, or everything in between, you can follow the work of Paul and his colleagues at port.ac.uk research. He's also featured in the very first issue of our new magazine, Solve, which features news, interviews, and more world-changing ideas from Portsmouth. Go to port.ac.uk solve. Next time on Life Solved, I'll be bringing you more world-changing research from here in Portsmouth.
It's not saying that femininity is, is fixed across time or space. It's saying it's something that's embedded and decided within our own culture. Yeah. So within the UK, you know, ideas around being kind of looking and presenting our bodies in a certain way are tied up with what it means to be feminine. Subscribe on your podcast app to get the episode automatically. And please do let us know what you think via social media and share this podcast using the hashtag LifeSolved or maybe just share the big idea with a friend. Thanks for listening.